I want to talk to you today about how you can live a life that is stronger than ever. And we're looking at Exodus chapter 13 and 14. It's one of the greatest miracles ever recorded in the Bible. In fact, it is the greatest miracle in the Old Testament. It's mentioned more than 24 times in other passages of the Old Testament, and it's alluded to more times than that. It's also mentioned in the New Testament. Um, what the resurrection of Jesus is in the New Testament, the parting of the Red Sea is in the Old Testament. And it is a miraculous, powerful example of the great power of the God that we serve. And I want to talk to you today about how his power can be present in your life. And I want to give you five things today. I hope you'll write these down and that you'll follow me because we need the power of God. We need the power of God and, and God wants us to be stronger than ever. And how do we do that? The first thing is we trust in God's direction. Trust in God's direction. Now, um, the, the Israelite people have been captive in Egypt for four 130 years. That's more than 10 generations of people. That's a very long time. God sends them a liberator. His name is Moses. And Moses persuades the Pharaoh to let, let his people go. And he does so by bringing the 10 plagues, which is a sermon for another time. But now the people have gathered up and they are leaving. They are leaving Egypt and they're about to face a great challenge because the Pharaoh now has changed his mind. He wants to go back after the people and bring them back into captivity. He started to really think it through and he thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe I should not have let them go. And God's going to part the Red Sea. The Israelites are going to walk across. When Pharaoh's army um, is pursuing them, they're going to try and go across the Red Sea too and then all of a sudden, the walls of the water are going to collapse down. And the people are going to be liberated. But check this out. Before we get to all that, when the Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people towards the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness and the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. And I love that last little phrase, they left in battle formation because these people have been slaves. They're not soldiers. They don't know how to fight. But anyway, they're in battle formation. But before you get to that, look at this right here. It describes the fact that the people did not take the highway. They didn't go, they did not go the normal way that they should have gone to the promised land. And I don't have a map for you today, but you know, Egypt is in North Africa and the promised land is a little bit east of that. Um, and, and you got to cut through Egypt and the Sinai Peninsula and all that. But the shortest path was a highway that led to the land of the Philistines. And Pharaoh probably had other armies that were stationed along the way. And then the Philistines may have uh, wanted to fight the Israelites too. And so even though it was a shorter way, even though it made more sense, it was the predictable way, God did not send the people that way. 
He sends them through a massive desert where there is no highway. And he actually sends them south and then east and then north and then east again. They take a big, huge detour. Why would God send us so far out of the way? Why would we be walking across the sands of the desert? Why would we be in a place where there is no road? Why? Well, he says right there. Check it out. If they traveled the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby, the people would change their minds and they would return to Egypt if they faced war. The people were afraid. Here's the point. Sometimes God sends us the long way to protect us. Sometimes the greatest way is not the shortest way. And hard paths are oftentimes protected paths. Shortcuts are not always better. We, we think a lot of times when we have a decision to make, what's the easiest, fastest way I can get this thing done? But sometimes in the providence of God, God has a plan that has a longer, has a longer orientation to it, right? It, it, it takes longer to get there. King David, the second king of Israel, was anointed a king as a boy, but he didn't sit on the throne for something like 15 to 20 years later. He, he was on the long path. He was on the long journey. Listen, when we take shortcuts with the callings of God, that's when we get in trouble. we got to follow the path that God's put before us. Now, I'm convinced as a father that dads know directions. Can I get a witness today? Anybody? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that I know how to get places better than anybody when I'm driving. My wife loves to put on Google Maps, even if it's a place that we've been to a hundred times. And I'm like, honey, we, we, know, we know how to get to the restaurant. It's 10 minutes away. We, 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 we go there all the time. No, but I want to see how many minutes it's going to take to get there. Okay, all right. So we, we were taking our kids to summer camp, a camp that I've been to many times. We had the Google directions up. And at the last second, it says exit here onto the service road. And I'm thinking, I'm not listening to Google. I know exactly where I'm going. And Gina's arguing with me. She's like, get off here. Google said. And I'm like, well, to me, Google's like a suggestion, right? It's not, it's not like the, the final word on anything. So I don't exit. And she's like, you should have gotten off. You should have turned it. Google said. And I'm like, no, no, no. We're in the middle of nowhere. Well, I went up about a half more mile and the highway was completely shut down. I'm talking like there was some bad accident and nobody was moving at all. And we sat there for two long hours. We could have already been to the camp and, you know, most of the way back home. <laughs> and I started thinking about that and I thought, well, the sh what I thought was the shortcut actually ended up to be a dead end. <laughs> Sometimes we think that, don't we? We, we, we think, well, I'm going to take this road. And it's going to be faster, but in the end, it, it, it takes longer. Students, parents are telling you, don't hang out with those friends. The reason is, it may be a little harder now, but guess what? It's going to be better in the long run. Amen? God has the long view in mind for you. When we start cutting corners and we start taking our own path and doing what you know, the proverb says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. That's when people take their own paths. So the people follow God, and it's an unorthodox path. 
Listen, you'll live an unorthodox life if you follow the Lord. People will look at you and go, man, he's different. But that's all right. That's good. That's a good thing. Now, the people have three alternatives. They can go back to Egypt and be a slave. They can stay where they are and do nothing. Or they can move forward in faith. And they decide to do the third option. They decide to move forward. And they rely on God's promises. They trust in God's direction they rely on God's promises. Now, this is going to get really strange right here. Check this out in Exodus 13, 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid and then you will take my bones with you from this place. If you read in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph, the great patriarch of the Israelite people, he said, listen, when I die, I need you to dig up my bones and take them to the promised land. And he knew that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his forefathers, that one day the Israelite people would have their own land. And he wanted to be there. How about that? That's commitment, isn't it? Like, dig up my body, take the bones. And I started thinking about it. 430 years in captivity, Joseph's buried the whole time. Because when Joseph was in Egypt, the Israelites were not slaves. So, so for 430 years... Joseph has been buried, and then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 more years. So 430 plus 40 is 470 years old. You know, those are some old bones, right? Can you imagine the, the intern that was in charge of putting the coffin on the back of that cart, wandering through the wilderness and hearing the skull and the femur and the clavicle rattle around in the back? <laughs> what is that? Oh, that's the bones of Joseph. In the book of Joshua, they finally get there and they bury him in a place called Shechem. And they did exactly what they promised to do. Now, why in the world would Joseph want to be buried in the promised land? Because his heart was with the promises of God. God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob one day you will be the forefathers of a great nation. You will have this land Joseph's heart was with the promises of God. Listen, if you want to be stronger than ever, if you want to have a faith that is dynamic and that is powerful, your heart has to be united with the promises of God. The promises of God. Here's a couple of examples. One promise is this. You have special strength available to you through faith and the power of Christ. Isaiah 40 verse 29 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Uh, another promise, God hears our prayers and moves through them. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, James chapter 5 says. Uh, uh, another promise, God provides for all of my needs. Uh, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's from the book of Philippians. Our heart needs to be united with the promises of God for our life to be strengthened and to be powerful and dynamic. Where is your heart? When your heart's with the promises of God, guess what? You'll have confidence. You'll have hope. You'll have optimism. You'll have strength. You'll, you'll have vitality. You'll have direction and security and so many other things. So what do we do? Well, we got to follow. We got to follow God's presence. That's the third thing. Follow God's presence. Now, they, they take the bones of Joseph, but look at this at the end of, of Exodus 13, verse 20. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham 
on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day, and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night, so that they could travel day or night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. So the presence of God was revealed in a pillar of fire and a cloud. How about that? I mean, that's pretty amazing. If you think about it, they didn't have GPS. They didn't have, they didn't have a map. They didn't, they didn't know where the promised land was. God just said, I'm going to show you where it is. And so they, they followed this cloud or this pillar of fire. How great would that be every time you're trying to make a decision if you were like, Lord, bring the fire, you know? Is she the one? Is there a cloud, you know? Uh, Lord, do I take that job? Where's the, where's the pillar, you know? Where's the cloud? What if a cloud showed up every time you needed to make a big choice? That would be amazing. We'd be like, sign me up for that. That'll be good. I got some good news for you, though. Because actually, what God has given to us is greater than a cloud or a pillar of fire. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit resides in the heart of every follower of Christ. And so the way that we follow God's presence is through the Spirit. And Romans 8.14 says, For as many as who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. In other words, one of the indicators that you're truly one of God's children is that you have the Spirit of God leading and directing you. Galatians 5 says, Keep in step with the Spirit. And I think in my life, two ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to me. One is through urgency. Uh, Ryan, you got to get on this. And sometimes through peace. And when I got to make a choice, sometimes I'll just pray about things and I'll, I'll just say, you know, I just, I have a peace about this decision. I mean, maybe I'm not 100% sure, but, but this seems to make sense. I have a peace about it. That's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I have an urgency. I got to do this. I got I to gotta make this call. I got I to gotta make this decision. And, and the Holy Spirit speaks through urgency and sometimes he speaks through peace and I'm sure he speaks through other things as well, but... But, but, but God has given us a great, a great leadership. Man, the thing that you need to be stronger than ever is to have God's divine direction over the choices that you make. I hope that you're not just making choices just because it was convenient or that's what you've always done or that's what somebody down the street told you to do or, or what just seemed easy or logical. I hope that you have a sense that God is actually leading you, and that's not acid reflux or just a clever idea. That's the divine leadership of the Lord in your life. Um, we've been leading our church through a tough time. And uh, we've, with, with all of the shutdown and the COVID stuff, and you know, we had never had an online worship experience until March, and we put that together like in 48 hours. And then, so then we didn't have physical services. We had online services, and I preached to the video camera for um, several months. And then we had outdoor services. And uh, then, we, then we moved here in the building just, just recently. And uh, we're reopening our kids' ministry in the coming weeks. And we're making all these shifts and changes. And, and I know at work, you guys are making changes too. Probably all of us are doing something different, at least a few things, than you did before. And, and we've been, all been impacted. How do, we, how do we navigate a changing world? How do we make decisions when it's like every day we show up and things are different? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual thing. We need God. We need God to direct us and to lead us. And we've been trying to follow the Holy Spirit as we 
have reopened our church and as we continue to move forward and to advance and, and we want to continue to fill this room back up as, as we move forward in faith and doing the things that God's purpose for us. We got to follow God's presence. And this is what the Israelites did. Um, they also did something else. They glorified God and they glorified God's faithfulness. And, and this is where chapter 14 begins to take off. Um, it, ver, verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back to the camp, and in front of uh, Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, you must camp in front of Baal-Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, They are wandering around in the land, in confusion in the wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all of his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now I love the last phrase there. So the Israelites did this. Isn't this great? It's one thing when God says something. It's another thing when it really begins to happen is when people actually do what God said. But check this out. Um, God is leading the people and there's all these weird towns and we don't know exactly where they are and they're kind of hard to pronounce. But the, the idea is that the people are kind of wandering around. Pharaoh's watching them. He's sending spies. He's kind of keeping tabs on where is everybody. And God's sending them to some different places and they camp in a place that's kind of like not logical. And Pharaoh is getting the impression, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Perfect. I'm going to pounce on this, right? I'm going to go get all my slaves back. I'm going to bring them back to Egypt because they're so confused. And they may even welcome uh, the invitation to come back to Egypt. Okay. God's at work. Now notice it says here that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And critics of the Bible have said, well, why is God so mean? Why did God harden the heart of Pharaoh um, doesn't Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh dies in the Red Sea and, you know, why did God make him do this and all this? Before it says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, if you read the passage and you read the early chapters of the book of Exodus, it says that Pharaoh actually hardened his own heart. And in another instance, it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It doesn't say whether it's God or Pharaoh. In other instances, it says that God uh, hardened his heart. So I think the emphasis here is that God, uh, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and after he hardened his own heart, then God hardened his heart as well. Pharaoh, if you're going to make these bonehead decisions, if you're going to be the big meanie, then okay, so be it. Okay, and and he goes after the the Israelites to try to to try to reclaim them, so to speak. But notice it says right here, then I will receive glory by the means of Pharaoh and all of his army and the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. So when there's a great victory, then God is glorified. And what he's saying is, look, when there's defeat and all the people are wiped out and everybody's gone, all the Egyptians are gone and all the Israelites are free and, 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 and they're, they're liberated then the glory of God is seen and people will say, how could this happen? Oh, you must worship a great God. Now, is that the most beautiful example of anything that somebody could say about a follower of Jesus? Is that, they would, that, that our life would somehow glorify God? The Exodus story, I think, is in the Bible um, for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is it is a picture of our salvation. Think about this. Um, uh, 
the Egyptians are in bondage and in captivity. God sends them a liberator. They, they uh, are set free and they begin to leave the land of oppression. They think about going back because it's hard and it's difficult. And ultimately, they're glorified in the land of promise. That's the gospel. We've been oppressed by our own sin. We've been held captive. We are slaves to sin, the book of Romans says. God sent a mediator. God sent a savior. God sent a liberator in Jesus to set us free. We left the life of sin. Sometimes we look over our shoulder and we think about going back to the old way of living. But we've been set free and ultimately we'll be glorified with God in heaven. The story of the Exodus is the gospel. It's the gospel story and God is glorified. And when your life is transformed, God is glorified and people see the God that you say that you serve. Wouldn't it be great if people at the office said, you know what, man, she's different. You know, she used to be kind of crabby, kind of the gossip of the office. Now she's smiling all the time and helping everybody. What happened? I serve a great God. He used to be so discouraged and depressed and short with everybody and, you know, upset all the time, sensitive. Now this guy's got a big smile on his face. What, what happened? God changes hearts. God changes people. And God is glorified. And we want to let our lives be a tool for God to point people to his great redemption and his great a message of love and hope for us. And God's glorified in that. So we glorify God's faithfulness. We follow God's presence. And finally, we wait. We wait for God's deliverance. Now, this is, this is another odd thing about this whole story. I mean, this whole, this whole story is counterintuitive, isn't it? That's how you know the Lord's involved, right? The Lord's involved when it's like, okay, that's odd. Okay, look at God's instruction to the people here in verses 13 and 14. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation and uh, salvation that will be accomplished for you today and the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet or another translation, you must be still. So this is what's crazy. The biggest, most sinister army at that time in the history of the world is coming after the Israelites. And God tells them, you need to be still. I mean, come on now. I mean, Lord, have you seen the chariots of these guys? Have you seen the weapons? Do you know what kind of warriors the Egyptians are? They're coming for us, Lord. Just be still. Just be still for just a moment. Be quiet. Let the Lord fight for you. Did you know God is your advocate? Sometimes we feel like we got to advocate for ourselves, and that's true. But ultimately, God is the greatest advocate for our lives. God's fighting for you. God's fighting on your behalf. Now, I, I would understand this passage a little bit more. If God gave instructions to the Israelites, I mean, let's think about this with some other battles. At the battle of Jericho, God said, I'm going to give you a great victory, but I want you to march around the city seven times, right? So the Israelites got to do something, okay? They got to feel like that they were a part of 
you know, bringing the walls down. They, they marched seven times, they blasted the trumpets, and they shouted, and boom, the walls went down. Okay, they, they, they played a small role. What about the story of Gideon in the book of Judges? He's fighting the Midianites, 135,000 soldiers. He's got 300. And God says, listen, don't take a sword. Don't take a bow and arrow. Just take a clay pot, a torch, and a trumpet. And at the appropriate time, break the clay pots, lift up the torch, cry out for God, blast your trumpet, and they win a great victory. Now, it's still spectacular, still amazing, still miraculous, but, but the Israelites got to do something. In this victory, God tells them, just be still. <laughs> just be still. I don't know about you, but when I get into a tough spot, you know, sometimes I would rather stay up really late praying or get up really early in the morning or to pray or to spend extra time reading the Bible or, or, or showing up here at church working a little harder to try to get something going. That's my tendency. God's prescription is different. Just be still and let the Lord fight for you. Just let the Lord fight for you. Waiting usually comes after you've done some of the heavy lifting. Maybe you've worked hard and now it's time for God to step in and do, to do what God does. Why do we need to wait? Sometimes we wait for further instruction. I mean, God's, God's just saying, you know, just wait until I tell you something else to do. Okay, that makes sense. Sometimes we need to rest. Running harder is not always better. Um, elite athletes take days off. Right? Because the body has to recover. You can't, you can't lift weights and run every single day. You've got, you got to rest sometime. Um, God may be doing other things. His timing may not be right. Waiting also makes us trust God, doesn't it? I mean, when you're waiting. Waiting doesn't mean that you don't do anything. Waiting means you have expectation that God is going to come to earth and release His power and His presence in your life. Waiting also makes your faith grow. Because you know it wasn't you. And he promises to fight for you. That's what he does. But he gives these three instructions. And very briefly, I want you to look at these very quickly. He says, fear not, don't be afraid. Um, this is a command that's given more than 50 times in the Bible directly. And it's alluded to more than that um, in, in other passages as well. Um, fear sometimes just pounces on us, but when it pounces on us, we want to push it away. Now, it's true that fear and faith cohabitate. They live in the heart of every person. Sometimes you read passages in the Bible and you're like, oh man, that great woman of faith, she didn't have any fear. No, I don't think so. I think the great heroes of the Bible had a lot of fear. I just think they chose to not let fear overcome faith. So he says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Number two, stand firm. Listen, don't compromise your values. Don't lower your standards. Don't give up on your integrity. Don't run and hide. Stand firm. And then he says, be still. Be still. Be still involves blocking out all distractions and placing your focus on the promises of God. Just getting into that still place where the Lord's going to move and work. And keep in mind, the peace of God cannot hit a moving target. If you want to be filled with God's peace, your heart will have to become still, enough, still long enough to receive it. 
So are you facing, are you facing a Red Sea? Are you facing, are you facing the oppression of others? Are you in the middle of a battle? Where are you? We need strength from God. Economic problems, pandemic issues, violence and crime, other issues going on in our culture. We need the strength of God. Um, this, this last week, um, uh, many celebrated the Juneteenth uh, holiday. It's the commemoration of the final ending of slavery. Um, and uh, it's a, a very interesting story. President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation two and a half years before some of the final slaves in Galveston, Texas heard that they were free. And I just thought, man, how, how amazing is that, that, that people could actually be free but still live in slavery. And the reason was because nobody told them. And so they, they, they continued to be oppressed. They continued to, to live in the deepest parts of the Confederacy as slaves long, long after they should have been liberated. It's amazing, isn't it? And I thought, man, what a, what a spiritual parallel to our own lives. Sometimes we live in bondage because nobody's told us that we're free. We can be free by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be free by the power of Christ. We don't have to go back and live lives that are chained to the old habits of sin. God has set us free. And if God has set us free, let's not look back over our shoulder to the old life. Let's embrace the new and all the things that God has for us in the days to come in the promised land that is ahead. That is God's great promise for us. And when we do that, we can say we are stronger than ever. Would you pray with me for a moment?